Well, thank you guys. Wow, great music this morning. Great singing. You know, I was thinking, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And while you do that, I was just thinking um, for, for myself about one of, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor. And probably a lot of people don't know this. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't know if I've even ever shared this much anymore. I have a lot of things that I get to do that I absolutely love. Probably 99% of my ministry, um, I absolutely, thoroughly, completely enjoy. And uh, it's very rare that I have to do something on any given day that I'm like, man, nah, I'd, I'd just rather not do that. Um, the vast majority of everything I get to do, I love. But one of the, some of the smallest things and some of the things I enjoy the most, and here's one of the things I love to do the most, all right? And, and here it is. Now, I, I love to sing, right? Um, there's, there's these little microphones right here on the front of the stage, and um, I think there used to be one right here that was pointed towards my row, but I think they moved it because what happens is that microphone feeds into the system and then the, the singers hear it in the monitors and I think they got tired of hearing me. So I'm pretty sure there was one there. Maybe they moved it, I don't know. Um, but uh, I love to sing. I love to sing really loud, but there's another thing along with this that I love to do. And y'all encourage me when we do this because not only do I love to sing loud, but sometimes I love to stop singing and just listen to y'all. And I really enjoy that. So on the days when y'all are really singing out, now I know some days, maybe not so much, but on the days that y'all are really singing out, y'all bless my heart. And so I appreciate that and I love that. Um, and, and I just want to thank you guys for ministering to me this morning with your singing. I stopped for a moment up here while we were singing just a moment ago and I could hear the, the chorus of the church just singing out and that was good. That was good. So y'all keep it up. Revelation chapter two. This, this book, Revelation, oftentimes called the apocalypse or something like that. This, this book is, is a, a prophecy given from the Lord Jesus to the apostle John near the end of what we would call that first generation of the church. And he, he gives this to the apostle John while he was exiled. He, he, was, he was sent off by the government and exiled onto a little island in the Mediterranean Sea. And, and the apostle John receives this message to then write down and then to share with, um, in particular, the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is, which is modern day Turkey. He gives him this message, and we're going to see several things in here that I think are very key, very uh, important to notice, in particular as to why the Lord chose the Apostle John to be the one to write this and deliver it to those churches. So before we even read the text this morning, I want to ask this question. What's missing? Ever thought about that before? What's missing? What's just not there? What's missing in your life? What's missing in, in the church? What's missing in your home? And, and just, just think about that for a second. In relation to the church, oftentimes what is missing in, in this, this modern church that we have and in, in, in this modern world and this United States culture, oftentimes what is missing in the church is just that, I don't know, that intangible 
joy, exuberance, excitement that we used to have. Y'all tracking with me this morning? Sometimes it's just business as usual and and we miss that. So I'm gonna propose to you this morning that that what's missing and, and, and really we need back, and this is no surprise if you've been following the sermon series the last, last three weeks, is that first love, that first love. We gotta get that back. You say, preacher, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. How do we do that? Well, we're gonna find out this morning, but, but track with me. I believe what's missing is that, that just that first love. So now, jumping from that back to our text, this Revelation book was given to the Apostle John. Let me tell you a couple things about the Apostle John. The first one is this. The Apostle John also wrote the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's one, it's one of four accounts of the life of Christ um, that, that were given. We call them Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the first four testaments of your New Testament. The gospel of John is interesting because it's different than the rest of them in the the writing style and the format and just the the way that it's delivered to us. And even the content seems to be very different. It's still about Jesus, don't get me wrong. It's not like it's a different Jesus, just a, a different perspective, totally different perspective than the other three. And one of the curious features in the gospel of John is the way that the apostle John refers to himself in the gospel of John. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So let me ask you this question. Did Jesus love all of his disciples or just John? He loved all of them. So it's not that John was boasting in the fact that he had a special place in Christ. That wasn't it. He was just referring to himself in a proper place of understanding who he was, or maybe I should say whose he was. And so John would refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's a key understanding of John's mindset as a disciple of Jesus. We're not even talking about John the apostle yet. We're talking about John who was just a disciple or follower of Jesus. He was constantly and completely aware of Christ's love for him. And by the way, where's my masculine men in the room? Where's my hyper-tough, all-American football Uh, playing big, strong guys in the room. John was no different. John was a fisherman. It was one of the toughest jobs of his day. This was not a weak little sissy man. And yet he was not afraid to talk about the love that Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of man, the savior of the world had for him. So men, let's not be afraid to talk to our families to our friends, to our coworkers, to our children, to our church. Let's not be afraid to talk about the mushy, gushy love of God for us. I didn't get a lot of witness on that one. Ladies, it's okay there to elbow your husband, all right? I give you permission. Gentlemen, if you didn't amen there, you probably deserve it. It's okay to talk about how much God loves us. By the way, one of the greatest verses in the Bible about the love of God comes from the gospel of John. You know it, chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world. John wasn't afraid to talk about the Jesus that loved him. That was John the disciple. 
Then we move in and we get John the apostle. You say, what's the difference? Well, the disciple was when he was just a follower of Jesus. But then when Jesus sent him out to to help found and lead the church, he picked his 12, right? They lost Judas Iscariot. They added one more. They go out and they start the church. They spread the gospel. That was John the apostle, the founder, one of the founders of the church, leaders of the early church. And John the apostle sent out three epistles. Those are letters. And the first one of them, 1 John, we call it, it's all about love. It's all about love. You read through it and it talks over and over and over and over and over again about love and the love that God has. And here's what's key. This is beautiful church, catch it. He uses in 1 John a common word to refer to the reader. Beloved. Beloved. Do you think this is a guy that knows anything about love? And I believe this is significant, not because John wrote out of his own mind and his own understanding the, the, the book of Revelation that we're about to read a part of. But I just think it's so interesting that the apostle who is perhaps the best known in the New Testament in connection with the love of God for him and his love for others is the one that delivers this message to the church of Ephesus about the loss of first love. This is John, the apostle. He's just a tool used by God to help deliver a message to a church that was working and laboring and serving the Lord that was complimented highly by the Lord Jesus Christ and chastised in one thing rebuked in one thing, and that was don't lose your first love. So let's read this together. Revelation chapter two, verse one, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one that's referring to Jesus, and this is Jesus speaking, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Those seven stars are referred to in the end of chapter one, and they They are the messengers of the angels of the church. I believe that that probably refers to human messengers of the church, perhaps the pastors of those church themselves. Some disagree and believe that they are spiritual angels or heavenly angels. Whatever the case is, these are the ones who are gonna help deliver the message to the church. The seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that Lampstands is identified as the churches themselves that are being written to, these seven churches that are pointed out specifically in, in Revelation here. They're all located in Asia Minor in what's modern-day Turkey now. So those seven lampstands say this, and this is the message specifically to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. 
and you have not grown weary. Verse four, but I have this against you. Now, here's the thing. If you cut out verse four and you cut out verse five, this is an exemplary message to a church that was doing a lot of work and a lot of labor and had persevered a lot and had rebuked false teaching a lot. If you cut out verse uh, four and verse five, you have a really positive letter to the church. And, and before we read the negative part, I would remind you church that the church in Ephesus, and I believe in many ways, the church here in Beulah, is doing a lot for the Lord that must be complimented, that Christ himself complimented. Listen, you guys are, are we're, I mean, we had these baptisms last Sunday. We saw two more of our ones that we had prayed for and, and prayed over, saved this last week. One at a, a men's conference up the road at another church. We're excited for that. We, we, we saw, uh, David, you mentioned, I didn't even check. This was amazing. He went back. I told him who, was, who we were gonna pray for this morning. It was one of y'all's ones that you shared with me this morning. His name's Perry. David went back and checked and he said, hey, I noticed that was a silver tag. He knew what that meant. That meant somebody shared the gospel with Perry. Isn't that amazing? So here's the thing. The labor, the works, the deeds, they are there. Church, you have labored hard for the Lord. You have served the Lord. You have, you have sacrificed for the Lord. Thank you for doing that. Thank you not from me, but from God in heaven who reaches down and says, thank you, church, for serving me faithfully. For 154 years, thank you, Beulah Baptist Church, for being a light on the side of Beulah Mountain here to share the gospel between Douglasville and Lithia Springs and Paulding County and reaching many, many people for Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a testimony of the cross of Christ. This is good and it's complimentary. But then he says, wait, there is one thing. Verse four, let's read. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. And then he goes back to complimenting this church that was exemplary, this church that was doing well for the Lord. Verse six, yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Church, I wanna say a few things before we really get into the body and the heart of this message this morning. And in saying this, I wanna remind you that this message of first love is a message given with love. 
Now, here, here's the thing. This message is less for me and so much more to what the, as he says in the end there, he who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church. Because I believe this, I believe that God's Spirit is speaking to us as a church and reminding us of the joy and the love and the passion that we are supposed to have for our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the first message of this series, Matthew, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Taken straight from Deuteronomy chapter six, the center, the heart, the, the biggest and the best commandment of all the Old Testament, love God with everything you got. Second message of this, get rid of anything else that's in the way. Repent, turn away from your wicked ways and your wicked deeds. In truth, the reality is so many times we've lost our first love because we've added a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a hundredth love. And so church this morning, I would propose to you that as a church, a lot of times the message is to individuals, you could take it to heart. And I believe this message is in a sense to individuals, but collectively as a church, I want to remind us today that we must return to a life and service of first love. We must return to a life and service of first love. Let's focus on that. I've said this for years, right? Does anybody remember the days where we had the monthly business meetings for the church? Does anybody remember that? Now, has anybody ever been in a quote, bad church business meeting? You don't have to raise your hand. I know some of y'all have been lifelong members here. If you raise your hand, it's a sign of guilt, right? So we don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know a lot of you know what I'm talking about. You get in these bad church business meetings. And, and you know, I, as a kid, I grew up, we were always having business meetings as a church. And listen, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a church that takes care of as a business, right? But I remember as a kid watching my dad and he went through enough bad church business meetings that eventually he said, we're done with church business meetings. We're gonna call them family meetings because it's not a business, it's a family. So we're gonna have family meetings. We're gonna take care of the business as a family, but we're gonna do it as a family. I remember he did that and he tried to, you know, kind of solve it with that thought. And you know, as I've watched that all my life, I've come to the conclusion, the vast majority of Christians simply want to come to church to worship and to serve Jesus Christ. That's it, right? Most of y'all, and I would assume, that, now there's a few that part of your first love and your gifting in Christ is administrative stuff and you do wanna take care of the light bill, but most of y'all could care less how the light bill at the church gets paid. Am I right? Most of y'all could care less what color the carpet is, what color the drapes are or the blinds or you know, I think it's funny. We got some blinds um, last year here at the church for a few windows that were missing them in the other building. And we got the vertical blinds, right? And somebody said, man, I really prefer the horizontal ones. And uh, the funny thing is, I was like, you know, me too. Um, but, uh, you know, like who cares, right? Most of us really don't want to come and take care of that stuff. We don't want the politics. We don't want all of that other clutter. We just want to come for Jesus Christ. Y'all tracking? Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? We, we need to get back to that point where we're like, you know what? We are here at the church just to love and honor Jesus Christ. 
And that's what we come for. We are here at the church just to give him our worship, to give him our service. And that's all that matters is Jesus Christ. Y'all see where I'm at? This is where I want us to be as a church because this is such a special place as a church. This is such a good spot as a church when we just come and we're like, you know what? I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord today. I was listening to a song on the way over to church says there's joy in the house of the Lord. Is there any joy in here this morning? Is there just a little bit church? Man, all right, we had just enough for one amen. It's time to salute and head out, am I right? Is there any joy in the house of God today? Is there enough that we can have some laughter, we can have some joy, that we can lift up the name of Christ and we can be excited about Jesus? You say, preacher, I don't wanna go to a church that's just all excitement and fluff, neither do I. But I do wanna go to a church that has true and lasting joy in Jesus Christ. And it comes from our first and exclusive love for him. Now I want you to notice, here's the technical part of the message this morning. Those words, first love, translated exactly like they needed to from the Greek to the English in this passage. And what's really fascinating about this, it doesn't take a deep theological degree to to come to the conclusion, and it would be an accurate conclusion, that that word first is the same word that we see in the great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the and great commandment. You see, what's interesting about that passage back in Matthew that we studied three weeks ago, what's interesting about that passage, remember, it was a Pharisee that come to him. He was asking him questions. He said, what is the great commandment? Okay, the, the Greek word behind that is mega, the big, right? It's pretty easy kind of to understand where that word's going, okay? What's the big commandment? What's the one that's bigger than all the rest? And Jesus responded, remember, we taught this three weeks ago. Remember this? By the way, if, you're not, if, if you missed three weeks ago, um, we'll set up. We've got podcasts now on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. You can find us on there. You can listen to these messages again and, and, and re, re-catch this, all right? But remember, that second word, Jesus responded, that's the great, but then he also responded, it's the first commandment. And when he gave that word first, That word has a very significant and deep understanding and meaning to it. It's not just first in a list of many things. It's first in the sense that it becomes the source of completing all of the rest of the commandments. When Jesus left this earth, he told us to go and make disciples. And what were the disciples supposed to be taught? To observe everything that the Lord commanded us, right? teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So if we're going to accomplish what Jesus has commanded us to do, we go to the great commandment, love the Lord with God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And we understand that that is the first, it's the greatest commandment. Yes, it's also the first or the source commandment. Because I said this in that message, I said the second commandment is easy to follow, that second commandment being love your neighbor as yourself. That's easy to follow if you have the first one straight. Am I right? And so church, I believe sometimes we get a little bit off track because we've just simply lost our first love. That's what's missing. I wanna make four statements this morning before we get into the main points of the message. You say, whoa, we're not in the main point of the message yet? No, not quite. 
We'll get there. All right? Buckle your seatbelts up. We're going. Four statements this morning to remind you of everything that Christ said in this church to this church in Ephesus. Because I want to be very, very, very clear on this. This message to the church of Ephesus parallels so much of where we are as a church, Beulah Baptist Church right here. There's so many parallels here for us to understand and to see what God has for us. And it's such a valuable lesson for us as a church. But I want you to understand this. Where the negative is, the chastisement from the Lord, it's valuable, it's important, and you better take note. But that doesn't mean that you stop doing the things that were right before that you were doing. You see what I'm saying? So when Jesus gives this message to the church, it is largely complimentary. But he does have a message of rebuke for them. And I don't want us to overlook the rebuke and I don't want us to overlook the compliments that he gives us. So I'm gonna give you four statements that describe how this letter goes, the, 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 the bulk of this letter to the church of Ephesus. And I want us to see how this, in a lot of senses, is very similar to where we are at. The first statement is simply this, our labor for the Lord is commendable. Our, our labor for the Lord is commendable. Church, understand, and I want, if you haven't been here, I know we have some people that haven't been here any longer than I have. I've been here for about a year and a half now. And I've been extremely well briefed on the history of Beulah Baptist Church over really about the last 20 to 30 years. And here's one of the things that stands out for you as a church, okay? And I'm coming from a place, remember, if you don't know, my background is this. The, the church that I served at prior to coming here was over in Lawrenceville, Georgia, on the other side of Atlanta. And, and that church that I had been to, one of the things that I saw in them as a church that had declined, it had suffered hurt and loss and defeat. Uh, it had gotten to the point where there, there wasn't a pastor in their recent memory. There wasn't a church leader outside of the church in their recent mem uh, memory. There wasn't a denominational leader outside of the church had said anything complimentary to this church in a long time. It was, it was devastating. This was a group of people that were hurt and broke down and they were just wore out and they were tired of hearing people beat them down and kick them while they were down. It was a terrible thing. And you know, when I got there, I thought, Lord, I don't know what you've got here, me here for. I'm not sure what I can add to this. But the one thing that I saw instantly in this church that I thought, this is a good thing y'all need to be complimented for is this. They didn't give up. It was amazing. These were, there weren't many of them left, but they held on. There weren't many of them left, but they kept doing what they knew to do. They didn't have a lot of direction and they didn't have a lot of understanding of what their purpose and their vision was. But one thing they knew was this, they were not gonna give up and they were gonna keep serving the Lord. And I get over here to Beulah Baptist Church and I look around and here's what I see. I see a church that had gotten hit pretty hard. I see a church that had had some setbacks. And Satan had won some battles here, hadn't he? It, it was kind of tough. And I've seen some people, I, I've come into contact with a lot of you that I, I've realized y'all gotten hit pretty hard. You got hurt pretty bad. But here's what I want to say to you this morning, church. You kept on doing. 
Many of y'all kept on serving faithfully and doing every, everything you knew how to do, even when it was hard to serve, even when serving in itself stung and hurt. It reminds me of the time I was mowing the grass and I went over a yellow jacket hole. Anybody ever gone over a yellow jacket hole with your lawnmower? You know, there's only one thing that you can do, quit. (laughs) You just quit, you give up because those things will keep coming after you. But y'all know y'all didn't quit. Those yellow jackets from Satan kept coming after you and you kept getting stung and you didn't quit. Your labor for the Lord is commendable. Many of you stepped up in times of crisis and you served in places that you probably wouldn't have otherwise. And you probably, you may not even be gifted for it. And we're gonna talk about that next week. You may not have even been gifted to serve in that particular place, but you kept doing it because you said, you know what? I am going to labor for God because I know I'm supposed to do that. That's a commendable thing. Thank you for doing that. He, he says to the church here, he says, I know your deeds and your toil. I was talking to Jimmy, you were sharing with me on the way in. When you were a kid, you used to go pick cotton out in the cotton field. That's toil. That's hard work. That's not easy work, right? A lot of us, we got soft hands. We don't have to go out and do that kind of stuff anymore. We, we don't have to work hard like that in the sun and the heat and the labor, Your labor for the Lord, it's toil, it's work, it's deeds. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that we as a church get away from hard work for God. If anything, we're gonna buckle down and we're gonna serve him harder. We're gonna work harder, we're gonna labor harder, we're gonna toil harder, but we're gonna do it out of first love. Because let me tell you, doesn't matter how hard the work gets, if you are doing it from a place of first love, man, it's good, church. We was down there, Johnny, you and I was down there in Honduras. And I'll tell you what, that last day, I don't know that I earn my keep every day, but that last day, Wednesday, that we were up on the mountain and um, see, none of the guys at Beulah saw me doing this. I was on the other side of the building. I was helping dig out a septic tank and they claimed that nothing happened. They claim I didn't work really hard. But let me tell you, I earned my lunch that day. I earned those pastelitas that day, okay? And uh, I, I dug out some, I moved some dirt that day with the shovel and a pickaxe, right? That was hard work, but you know, it didn't seem hard. Not a single swing of that pickaxe, not a single scoop of that that shovel seemed at all hard because there was joy in doing the work. And that's where we wanna be, church. So your labor for the Lord is commendable. The second thing in this passage is this, our commitment to doctrinal integrity is essential. We are not gonna back down to the purity of the doctrine of scripture. We are gonna teach the truth. We are gonna stand on the truth. We are gonna fight for the truth. That very word to be a keep, to keep the faith is that concept that we are gonna stand in front of the faith like a goalie on a soccer field standing in front of the goal and we are gonna guard it and we are gonna lay down our lives for the truth of God's word. But understand this, we are gonna do it truth with love. The truth with love. Our commitment to doctrinal integrity is so vital and important. Jesus' compliment to them said this, you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test 
those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false. He even talked about the the Nicolaitans later in the passage and how you hate the, the deeds of the Nicolaitans. There's a lot of debate surrounding what exactly the Nicolaitans were. And in the, in the later letter to Pergamus, that church, he said they talked about the, war, the, the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And, and so they, they were some type of false teacher that came in the early church. I believe it seems that they were mostly um, Gnostics of sort, which essentially means that they were trying to deny the physical realm and, and just, you know, jump into the spiritual realm. There's a little bit of some weird teaching. Here's here's the the good lesson for us in understanding this. We're going to hate the false teaching. We're going to fight against the false teaching. We're going to stand on the truth. We're not going to waver in this world where truth has become relative, where, where an individual truth has been higher than universal truth. My truth is better than what universal truth is. We are not gonna waver on the truth of God's word. We are not gonna go down that path. We are gonna fight for what's right and what's good in this world. We're not wavering on that. But we're also going to live in a place of first love. Because because truth without love is a scary place to be. Notice the third thing that he complimented this church with, the third statement I have this morning is our perseverance is noteworthy. He said to them, he said, you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. You have not grown weary. This was a church that persevered hard for the Lord. It didn't waver at all. Here's the thing. A lot easier just to give up, isn't it? It is, isn't it? It's a lot easier just to give up, throw in the towel. Made a mistake, I don't know, probably seems like back in February, but some of you guys have made it seem like it's been 10 years in the way you've you've, uh, picked on me over it. But I made a mistake of saying from up here that this year I was going to run a 5K. It'd be a lot easier for me to just say, you know what? I don't think I'm gonna make, I don't think I'm gonna get that done, right? The work and the labor, and I'm not good at it, right? I'm a couch potato like anybody else. It'd be a lot easier for me to just make one text to the Beulah Roadrunners text group and say, guys, I just, I'm not a runner. I'm not gonna be able to do it. I think it's probably better for me if I persevere. I think it's probably healthier for me physically if I persevere. I think it's probably the thing that I need to do. Church, it had been a lot easier to give up. In truth, many probably have given up. But why don't, instead of giving up, let's persevere. But here's the thing, church, I don't want us to persevere in misery. We're not gonna persevere in sorrow and misery and and joyless existence. Let's persevere in the first love of Jesus Christ. And that brings me to that fourth statement that I wanna make. That is this, our first love needs rekindling. 
when I told the leadership team a few months ago or a few weeks ago that we, we were having this series, I told them, I said, they said, well, how long is it? How many messages? And I said, well, it's like six messages. I said, but it might take longer than six weeks because we might just have to extend some of them. And the reality is it, it's 1130. I don't know that I'm gonna get through all of this message today. I don't know we're gonna get through all the points today, but I think we can get through the point. Do we need some rekindling of our first love? Do we need just to kind of rejuvenate the love that we have for Christ, the love that we have for serving him? Some of y'all, listen, I, some of y'all minister to me every single time I see you. Because whenever I see you, you are just bubbling over with joy for God. It's amazing to watch. And I'm just thinking to myself, how in the world can y'all keep a smile on your face all the time? And yet you do. But a lot of us, a lot of us, we need to rekindle our first love. We need to get that excitement, that love, that passion for the Lord Jesus Christ back. We need to get that passion for worshiping him, for serving him, for just laying down our lives for him. Let's get that back. Can we do that, church? Can we? Can we revive that concept and, and bring it back? I think we can. I really do. I think we can. The, the threat Jesus made was, listen, if you don't, I'm gonna have to come in and shut you down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to come in and turn you down. So let's rekindle our first love. How do we do that? We're going to take each one of these. There's, there's three imperative commands of Christ in this text, back to back to back, all in one verse, that show the Ephesian church and in turn show us how we can get that first love back. Remember the key verse, verse four, he says, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Verse five says, therefore, all right, here's what to do. Y'all ready for it? Here's what to do. The first thing that we need to do, church, is let's remember from where we have fallen. Now, here's the thing about remembering. If we're just gonna sit down and remember the glory days just for the sake of remembering the glory days, I ain't going down that path. We ain't gonna do that, right? I, 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 that is not me. That's not who I wanna be. We're not going to live our lives in the rear view mirror, okay? The bottom line is this. If the good days of this church are behind us, then we ought to just move on. Whew. Preacher, I don't know about you, but you're probably not a wise thing to say from the pulpit. But the reality is true. If the good days are all behind us, I'm not sure that we ought to even try to move on. But does anybody in here still believe that the good days can be in front of us? Anybody? Y'all with me? All right. See, I think we got something to go on. Does anybody, now let's, let's, okay, so now that we're established that, let's take a walk down memory lane, all right? Let, let's think, if you've been in this church long enough, think about some of the best days of this church. But here, let's, more on an individual level, let's do this. Let's think about your best days up until your life at this point. It might be now. You might be living in the best days you've ever had in Christ. But I wanna take just a moment, let's think about this. Let's remember the best days of our Christian life. Y'all wanna do that? 
Let's just think back about it. I believe probably for everybody, now maybe some of you are like, preacher, I don't know that I've ever been there. Hey, let's get there then today, okay? But let, let's think back, all right? However long you've been a Christian. For me, I've been a Christian since 1989, okay? Now, some of y'all didn't even think I was alive in 1989, okay? But for the first nine months of 1989, I wasn't alive. I was dead in the trespasses of my sins. But in October of 1989, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and that's when I was reborn. It was a good day for me, all right? And so since 1989, I've been walking with the Lord. And let me tell you, there's some days that ain't so good. Some days it's hard. Not so happy. Not so exciting. But let me tell you, there's some days, some of those best days you think through and what God has done for you, what God has done for me. So think for a second. Where's the best days in your life? The prescription Jesus gives is a three-part prescription. The first part of that prescription is remember from where you have fallen. So church, let's think about this. Where was the best? Where was that time in your life when you were on fire, the most passionate, the most living in the first love of Jesus Christ? When was that point in your life? Everybody got it? If you got it, say, I got it. All right. Now you think about what it was like at that point, right? You think about just, wow, what God did in your life. And let me ask you this question. Has God changed since then? No, not at all. Is God's love for us different since then? Not a chance. His love is the same. His love for us is everlasting. So if God's love for us is the same since that point in our life, then what has caused us to fall? Now, here's the deal. It may be that we're living in sin. You might have some sin, right? Now, if you didn't catch it last week, you need to go on. You need to, you need to go back to um, listen to last week's message. It was a hard message for me to preach. God had to deal with some things in my life. And maybe the reason you've fallen is because you got some stuff in your life that has a three-letter word for it called sin, S-I-N, and you need to deal with it. Maybe the reason why you've fallen is you have gotten so focused on what you have to do for God that you forgot that you were doing it for God. Maybe the reason that you've fallen is because you got hurt, you got, you got um, some pain, you got inflicted with some of those, those yellow jacket stings while you were mowing the lawn for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you had to take a step back from the lawnmower and you had to heal. You had to go through triage, you had to go through the hospital, you had to get well again, but it's time to get back into service of the Lord. It's time to rekindle that first love. What is it? What's holding you back? Remember, what, what's the difference from that moment where you were at the top of the mountain with Jesus Christ? And I'm not saying that everything in your life was good. I can tell you this, one of the times in my life when I was probably most walking in first love was one of the most persecuted times in my life. It was one of the hardest times of my life. It was one of the darkest times of my life. In fact, I remember finally confessing before my youth group in Florida. It's dark. 
and things are hard. I feel like I've been in a tunnel for a long time. And here's what I told him. I said, I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel yet. But I know that God is good and that he's got me and I'm gonna walk in confidence in him. It's one of the best times spiritually in my life, but it was also one of the hardest times I've ever gone through in life. I'm not saying it's all gonna be good and roses, but you know those moments when you were most walking in first love for him. Remember from where you have fallen. It's interesting and fascinating to me that this church in Ephesians was so shortly removed from their founding as a church, and yet they had lost their first love. Church, I look back at our church. And I'm not, I'm not saying we're gonna go down a memory lane of, because here's the thing, I, I'm not saying that the, the memory lane of where we have fallen as a church has to do with attendance numbers. I think that's the last thing on God's list of first love. I don't know that it has to do with attendance numbers or offering numbers. I don't know that it has to do with the number of ministries we have or, or the number of Sunday school classes we have or any of those other things that we might be proud of. What I'm saying as a church is let's remember when was the point in our church's life when we were the most passionate about Jesus Christ, when we were the most in his love as a church. That's what I wanna remember from where we have fallen because that's where we wanna get back. I would propose to you, there's probably a good chance that that was not on the highest attended Sunday in the history of Beulah Baptist Church. I don't know that it had much of anything to do with that. I would propose to you, it's a heart thing. It's not external, but internal. Remember from where we have fallen. But we're not gonna do this in just a sense that we can get nostalgic and we can just talk about the good old days. We do this for a reason, which brings us to the second step in this journey. And that second step is this. We've got to repent of the loss of first love. Repent of the loss of first love. Now, I want you to catch me really quickly, really closely. I want your attention. because I think this is super, super important. If you were living and your, your place in the body of Christ here, your, your, your portion, your spot in this church is without first love. You might be doing a lot for the Lord Jesus. You might be serving in a ministry. You might be giving faithfully. You might be attending well. You might be doing all, serving on a committee or something like that. You, you, you might have all of those things, but I want you to listen really closely. If you're doing all of that, but you've lost your first love, it's sinful. It's sinful. You say, preacher, wait a minute. He didn't call it sin in those verses. That's, that's not what he said. He didn't say it's sinful. It's not a good thing, but, but it's not sinful, preacher. I believe it is. And I believe the text explains it to us in such a way that will help us to realize it is sinful. He said to us to repent. He used that word twice. The first time, he didn't even have to explain it or describe it. He simply said, repent. Because the reality is, if you're guilty, the Holy Spirit will let you know. I want you to notice 
the second time that he says repent, he proceeds it with this. He says, if you don't, else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. It's a serious issue for a church to not have their first love. And it's serious enough that Jesus threatened a church that was otherwise doing a lot of good stuff. They were serving. They were exemplary in their labor. They were faithfully fighting for the truth of God's word, standing against false teaching, false apostles, false leaders. They were persevering. And yet Jesus said, if you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand. A lampstand was in, in chapter one, at the end of chapter one, a lampstand is defined as the church representative of the church itself. He was saying this, I'll close the doors of the church. Notice church, and this is, this is where it, it, it cuts the quick of the 21st century American church had nothing to do with how big the budget was. It had nothing to do with how big the buildings were or how pretty they were or how well-maintained the grounds were. It had nothing to do with how many ministries the church had. It had nothing to do with how faithfully they taught the word of God. It had nothing to do with what their Sunday morning attendance was or their Bible study attendance was or their community, how many community groups they had and how filled they were. It had nothing to do with how many missions trips they went on. Jesus simply said, if you don't repent from not having your first love in me, I will remove your lampstand. Gone. There's only one person that has the right and the authority to open the doors of a church or to close the doors of a church. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're a church that has lost our love, that has lost focus and sight of our first love for him, we are doomed already. Now, the good news is this. If you're a church that is consumed with love for the Lord your God, there is no power in heaven or earth or under the earth that could stand against us because we have Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can separate us from that love. So church, I say again, I believe for us to live and exist as a church without first love would be sinful and would be tempting the Lord Jesus Christ to come and to shut the doors. The loss of first love is a serious offense to the Lord our God. Only repentance will correct this error. No matter how hard we labor, no matter how vigilantly we guard the faith without first love, Christ promises to shut us down. And I don't believe there's a single person in this room that wants to be shut down. Not at all. We remember what it was like when COVID struck so hard and so fast that we had to just close the doors to corporate worship. It's a terrible thing. Could you imagine Christ closing the doors permanently 
be awful, terrible, devastating. It'd be a reenactment of the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament when the prophet Jeremiah wept over the destruction of God's city, Jerusalem. We don't want to go back there. Repent of the loss of first love. Here's the thing. If we can't repent of the loss of first love, take it seriously. We are doomed already. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to extend. Next week, we'll hit the third point in this same message. Next week, we'll, we'll get to that final conclusion, that returning, that last, that last word, go do the works that you did. But church, this morning, I want to close with this thought. Are you walking in your love for the Lord Jesus Christ? I, I want to close with this, this thought that we really need to get on our knees and, and ask God. And, and I've been saying this, let, let me just, I mean, I don't know, what, two, three months now? We started a, an hour of prayer at Wednesdays at noon. We encouraged many, we encouraged all of you, pray, even if you can't make it to the church, pray where you are. I hear from many of you say, hey, I've been stopping at noon on Wednesdays to stop and to pray, even if you're at work. Thank you for doing that. Here's what I wanna say. Here's, this is the exciting part, all right? Listen, there's many that have faithfully prayed for a rekindling of their first love over the, these last two, three months or whatever it's been, that God has really done that in their lives. I've watched it happen. It's almost like church, when we ask God for something in the name of Jesus Christ, he does it. Isn't that exciting church? It's almost like God's listening and he answers our prayers. But for some of us, we haven't got there yet. And I believe it's probably because you haven't taken it serious to pray for it. You haven't taken your repentance before God seriously. I was gonna save it for later in the message that, that we'll finish next week, but I, I, I asked him, so I got permission to share this story because I, I just wanted to, I wanted to share this with you. One of, one of my good friends in this congregation, right? One of my, one of my good friends has been such a, a support and a help and an encourager for me, uh, Bob. Bob's been faithful to pray, God, rekindle our first love, rekindle our first love, rekindle our first love. And God did something interesting in his life just recently. And, and I'm watching as God's using that to really light him on fire. It, it kind of hurt a little bit. It hurt for me personally. It kind of struck home for me. And that is this, Bob has, for many, many years, Bob's been teaching a fourth and fifth grade boys class, Sunday school class right up the hill. He's had one of my boys in his class since, he, uh, since, since I've been here as a pastor of the church. And he was about to have, starting this week, would have had two of my boys in his class. God did something in his life. He said, Bob, I'm, I'm moving you to a different place in the body of Christ to rekindle your first love. Now, here's the thing, it, and if you know Bob, you know this. He was never not excited about teaching that class. He loved it. He was passionate about it. But walking in first love goes deeper than that. It goes all the way to the point where we say yes to whatever God wants in our life. It goes to the point where 
Pleasing God comes before anything else. And if you're not at that point in your life, you've got to repent. And you've got to turn back to him.